Well, guys, today, for the first time in months, we move away from uh, the book of Job. But we're not going to move real far, or very far. Um, I am beginning another, a new series this morning on a book that immediately precedes the book of Job in the Bible, the, the book of Esther. Um, but as you may recall, when we introduced the, the book of Job, um, I felt the need then, and I feel it now, to spend a Sunday just introducing the whole study. Um, this is an odd sermon this morning. It's, um, it's not something I'm altogether comfortable with. But I, I do it, and, and I'll explain more in the, about the middle of the sermon, but I do it because I think um, it will help us enjoy the rest of the study if we'll just pause long enough to understand something, I think, very critical about the nature of this book. So that's what we're going to do today. I, um, I have my own reservations about doing it, but uh, we'll see. So grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them to the book of Esther. And follow as I read from the first chapter. I'll read you the first three verses only. Esther chapter 1 at verse 1. Now in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces, in those days when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the capital, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Hey guys, I want to I start the series by telling you a story. It's a, it's a mundane story. It's certainly not a life changer. It's just um, a story that I thought uh, at least grabbed my attention. It's a true story. It's a story about a guy by the name of Jeff Schloss. Jeff, I think, teaches at Wheaton or Biola or someplace. I don't know where he teaches, but he teaches someplace. But one Sunday morning, he was uh, driving home with his five-year-old son in the back seat of his car. And his son's name was Nate. And um, Nate uh, said to his daddy, Daddy, uh, could you speed up? Uh, so that I won't miss the beginning of Robin Hood on television. And so um, uh, Jeff, the dad, uh, said, Well, son, uh, you know that our television has been broken, and uh, it has something to do with the cable box. And uh, we've called the cable company, but the uh, ca- cable company doesn't normally uh, work on Sunday, and, and so we don't expect them to, to, to come until tomorrow. And even if they came today, son... Um, um, there's nobody home, and I locked the front door, and, uh, you know, you couldn't get in. So it was kind of a silence from the back seat, and, and little Nate is pouting. And, and so he says, well, Daddy, I think we should pray about this. So um, Jeff uh, thought, oh, now this is uh, not exactly the kind of things I want to be praying about with my son, but, you know, I don't want to ignore the opportunity. So he pulled the car over. And um, the little five-year-old from the back seat prayed, uh, Lord, uh, 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 fix the television so that I can watch Robin Hood. And then uh, Jeff closed by saying, Lord, would you hear my son's prayer? Amen. So they drove on, 
pulled in the driveway and, and was pulling up the garage door. And uh, while they were, they were waiting for the garage door, Nate just bounded out of the car. He ran to the front door, and Jeff thought, I mean, you know, the door is locked. He's not going to be able to get in. But, you know, so he pulled the car in. He got out of the car, went to the front door, and, and, and was surprised to find that the door was, was standing wide open. And he uh, walked in a couple of steps, and, and there was Nate. He was flabbergasted, but there was Nate um, sitting in front of the television watching Robin Hood. And um, about that time, a, um, a good family friend came from upstairs, downstairs, and, and explained to, to Jeff that uh, he was unexpectedly in town. He knew where the key on the outside was. He let himself in. And oh, by the way, um, uh, right after I got here, there was a knock on the door, and the serviceman came uh, from the cable company, came in, didn't say long, fixed it pretty quickly, and left. Now, what do you think about that story? Um, did God do that? Um, were, was Nate's prayer answered there? I mean, um, would that television have been fixed if Nate had never prayed? I mean, does God arrange antecedent events prior to us praying so that our prayers will be answered even before we ask? Uh, more generically, um, does God answer prayer? Now, guys... I'm probably not man enough to answer any of those questions. And some of you out there sitting are thinking, <laughs> I could care less. And, and for, for you, I have some good news. Um, this series is not about any of that. Um, this series, this morning sermon is not about any of that. Uh, we'll probably not comment if at all, about prayer during the whole series. But you see, that's not my point. Um, what I really want to say in re response to that, and, and by the way, you might have thought that was a, just a really ridiculous story, and, but you know, it really got to me. And, I, and it set my mind, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, spinning over, hmm, well, did that, what, what, what about that, you know? But what I really want to say to you is really my first point this morning, and it's this. Stories are powerful things. A story gets inside you, like, like, like that one did. A, a story confronts you with issues. It makes you think, it makes you ask, it makes you ponder, it makes you consider. At least it did me, that story. You know, gang, indeed, God's will is expressed clearly in this book via precepts. Like um, the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. And in that precept, information is conveyed, the mind of God is expressed, and, 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 and a, a piece of instruction is imparted. But, but folks, and I think you'll agree with me here, 
we seem to get the point of that precept far better when I tell you the story of David and Bathsheba. David who committed adultery with Bathsheba. That story will just downright take your breath away. Because you see, gang, stories are much more powerful than precepts. Stories are are much more than a statement of bare facts. Newspapers give us facts. But stories touch us. They, they, They woo us. I I tell you, uh, by way of precept, I say, you must forgive those who hurt you. And you say, yeah, 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 but you don't know what they did to me. And then I tell you the story of Joseph. Remember him? He was uh, much beloved by his father. His father gave him a coat of many colors, and his brothers were so jealous that they sold him into slavery. He goes down to Egypt. He's bought by Potiphar. He's tried to, uh, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him, and then she lies about what she did. Joseph is thrown into prison, and while in prison, the cupbearer and the baker are sent by Pharaoh into the prison. They have dreams. He interprets them. One of them is released. He goes back to Pharaoh, and they forget Joseph entirely, and he spends another three years in jail. But after that, of course, he ascends to the right end of Pharaoh. He manages Egypt over the seven years of plenty in the seven years of famine and then his brothers all of a sudden need uh, need some food they come down to drive to buy food from joseph and joseph recognizes them and he forgives them so when i tell you that story all of a sudden forgiveness forgiveness at least becomes more possible you know we teach our kids we teach our kids we say Now, don't you lie by precept. But then we tell them the story of Pinocchio. Or even better, we tell them the story of Ananias and Sapphira out of Acts chapter 5, who who both lied to the Holy Spirit about the sale price of a piece of land. And as a result of their lie, they were struck dead. Now, you tell me, which do you think your little child will get best? The precept? Or the story. You see, guys, most of our learning occurs in a moment when when truth reaches us viscerally. Another example, if if I tell you, um, beware of zip lines. Zip lines can be very dangerous. You say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I go on to tell you the story about the young 24-year-old college student from the West Georgia University whose name is Amy Copeland on May the 1st who uh, of this year who was on a zip line and there was an accident and she sliced up her leg introducing a flesh-eating bacteria to her, to her body and they had to amputate her leg in one of her hands and she almost lost her life. Then, then you may be more prone to be careful around zip lines. Because stories are powerful things. Have you ever noticed how much of the Bible comes to us in story form? Somebody somebody figured that out. It wasn't me. I'm not that smart. But uh, they suggested that 77% of the Old Testament comes to us via story. And then there are huge chunks of the New Testament. The book of Genesis, for example is nothing but a story, at least a a series of stories. 
That story that I just rehearsed a moment ago about Joseph, whose brother sold him into slavery, covers the last 14 chapters of the book of Genesis. 28% of the book is consumed with one story, which is designed to teach one precept about the sovereignty of God. Genesis 50, verse 20. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And, they, and, and the Bible spends 14 chapters telling you a story so it can teach you about God's sovereignty. You've ever noticed that, that even non-Christians know many of, of the stories of the Bible? Noah and his ark, David and Goliath, Samson and Delilah, Joshua and Jericho. Because, ladies and gentlemen, my point is, stories are powerful things. Now, but why? Why, why do stories make... Why, why are they such an effective method of instruction? This is my second point. Why is it that stories are such an effective method of instruction? I'm sure there's lots of reasons, but I want to, I want to suggest just two. Two reasons why, why stories are so effective among us. First reason. Um, stories have a way of involving us. They, they, they draw us in. Um, they, 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 they make us a part, at least at the level of the imagination. We, um, when we were younger, you know, we used to, we made up stories in our head. Uh, our imaginations ran wild. And um, there was the, the daydream of the, of the little boy who was a, who was a, a valiant soldier and the hero's own story. Ladies and gentlemen, when I was a little boy, uh, I was raised in Whitehaven. And in my neighborhood, there were three boys that were pretty much the same age. There was Tommy Bell. He was the oldest. There was Gary Guy. He was the next oldest. And there was me. And we would play army for hours, hours, day after day after day. We'd teach those Germans a thing or two. When we get older, we, um, we daydream less. But, but even as grown-ups, we still love stories of adventure and romance. Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, I think I even went out and bought a whip. I think I did. You know, because guys, we refuse. We refuse to think of our lives. As a tale told by an idiot signifying nothing. You know, in, in that regard, one of the most important books that has been written in recent years in the area of philosophy, I know you don't read much philosophy, but I get paid to. Um, one of the most important books is Alastair McIntyre's book, After Virtue. And the book is primarily about how to how one finds his own personal identity and all that business. But in the book, he makes this observation, which I thought was germane for this, for this morning, but he says that anyone who thinks about or attempts suicide 
is because, this is his suggestion, it's because the story of their lives has become unintelligible to them. That is, life is meaningless. There's no storyline. There's no plot line. Remember, there, there used to be, a, I guess there still is, a children's game called Connect the Dots. Well, these people who consider suicide, they can't seem to connect the dots. They see themselves as outside the story, and so suicide becomes an option. And, and, and modern psychology doesn't help much. They, uh, they turn a life into a case study. And it's a study, it's a story, uh, they, they conclude, it's a story that has no story to it, you know. Um, the social sciences, ladies and gentlemen, are very long on analysis, but very short on meaning. I, I, I'm simply saying, guys, my point is that stories draw us in. They make us a part. They help us, they help us sort out some of the complexities that we face in a very complex world. You may, you may have heard the story about um, uh, Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger, who played uh, the Joker in the, not, not the present Batman story, but the, the previous movie three or four years ago. It, and it was said about him that he got so drawn into the story that he couldn't get out. And that he continued to live like the Joker in all of his relationships. And ultimately, as you know, he won an Oscar. But that was after he killed himself. That's the first reason that stories are such an effective method of instruction, guys. Because they draw us in. The second reason I would suggest is that stories sneak up on us. They catch us. They catch us by surprise. There is in the middle of the telling of a story, there is a ah moment. Biblical stories, folks, are not told for entertainment value. The stories in here, they disarm us. They disarm us with their charm. They, 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 they say, for in essence, they say, take heed, because this story is about you. This story is, is, is to you. Stories, that is, from the scriptures. We get to see our own insides. They engage us. They expose us. And, and, and all by surprise. I guess, I guess the best example of all, ladies and gentlemen, is the story of David and Bathsheba. Remember that? David commits adultery with Bathsheba. Uh, he has her husband murdered on the front lines. And then during that course of the pregnancy, and I, I don't know exactly when, God raises up a prophet. He raises up a prophet by the name of Nathan. Nathan uh, makes an appointment with David and he goes over to David's office. He walks into David's office and he says, Now, David, you have committed adultery. Bad boy. No, he doesn't do that, ladies and gentlemen. That's not what Nathan did. Nathan goes into David's office and he says, David, let me tell you a story. David, once upon a time, there was this man who was very wealthy. Very wealthy. He had, he had flocks and flocks and flocks of sheep. But right next door, his next door neighbor, there's a poor guy. And he only had one sheep. Oh, he loved that sheep. Treated that sheep like he was his child. 
And then this, this wealthy guy had a friend come visit him from out of town. And so he wanted to feed him something. And so he went over, instead of taking a sheep out of his own flocks, he went over to that next door neighbor and stole that one sheep from that poor guy. And David says, That man must die. And Nathan says, Gotcha. You're the man, David. Caught by surprise via a story. Guys, a story. A story softens the soil of our souls. You know, a good storyteller is one who can turn an ear into an eye. And there was none better than Jesus Christ. His stories are epic. The story of the prodigal son. The story of the good Samaritan. You know, and interestingly, Jesus would answer questions with stories. That's what he did with the good Samaritan. Then there's, there's the story of Lazarus and the rich man. There's the story of the, the publican and the Pharisee. There's the story of the, of the wicked tenants. On and on and on it goes. And, 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 and you know why he did that? Let me tell you why he did that. Do you know when you listen best to me? Do you know when you listen the best? It's when I tell you a story. You know, I'm up here on a Sunday morning and I'm preaching my little heart out and, and um, you know, and, and all of a sudden I say something like, let me tell you a story. <laughs> and it's almost comical. All the heads pop up. And, and they, they put away their grocery lists. And they stop taking notes. They want to hear. Um, we, we love to tell stories. We love to listen to stories. We love to... Read stories. We, we love stories. We respond to stories in a way that we do not respond to lectures or sermons. And Jesus knew that. And so he was a master at telling stories. You know, our favorites are still the old-fashioned ones. Snow White. Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella. Now guys, I have spent 20 minutes of your time telling you all that because I want to say this. Are you listening? The book of Esther is a story. And if you are to benefit from this upcoming series on the book of Esther, you have got to read the story. You have got to take 30 minutes out of your very busy schedules of watching the Olympics. And you've got to read 
the 12 chapters contained in the book of Esther. I will never in the course of this series read to you the whole story. I, I've got, I don't know, eight, nine, ten sermons out of this book, and I'm never going to slow down to catch you up with the, with the whole story. You have got to read the story. Will you do that? Between now and the next time we're here, would you do that? Would you read a book of the Bible? Twelve chapters? Because, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to, get, you're going to be outside the story. And you're going to waste your time for all ten sermons. You know, these twelve chapters that comprise the book of Esther... They have all the ingredients of something, all the plot twists of something that is downright Shakespearean. There's a, there's a dramatic beginning. There's this group of, of very confused sexual politicians. Hmm. There's a, there's a quirky emperor. There's a, there's a self-promoting, full-of-hatred villain. Did you know that? You gotta know him. There's this damsel in distress. There's a very unlikely hero. There's a, there's a surprising shift in events that, that leads to a climax where, where right ultimately triumphs over wrong and everybody lives happily ever after. It's a story! And I am hoping I am praying that this story will get inside you. Here's my last point. As you um, as you read this story, will you? Every one of you? Every one of you. But as you as you read this story and, and I tell stories about the story, we must never forget that all biblical stories point us to the story. The story about God's intention to save the fallen race by the gift of His Son. That story is an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a a faraway country to win back his lost treasure. And you know who that treasure is? You, you and me, it's a love story about a brave prince who, who leaves his palace, he leaves his throne, he, he leaves everything behind so that he can come and rescue the ones that he loves. Every story 
Every story in here, ladies and gentlemen, whispers his name. He's the missing piece in the puzzle. He's the piece that makes all of the other pieces fit. And if you will read it, and listen very carefully, you will hear the soft sound of sandaled feet. Christianity, ladies and gentlemen, comes to us in a story. Not not in a philosophy, not in a science. It, it, It doesn't say to us as if it were a newspaper, Jesus died on a cross. It doesn't do that. What it does do, it says this, Jesus died on a cross for sinners like you and like me. Gang, in my telling of this story, the the Esther story, my hope is that this story will turn in on you. And at the end, we'll all be pointed to the hero of every story. Jesus Christ. Guys, um, not only do stories turn in on you, stories also make a demand on all the hearers. And here's the demand. Oh, oh, oh. I almost forgot. I almost forgot to, um, almost forgot to tell you the story. <laughs> Let me tell you the story. Once upon a time, there was this, there was this group of people, um, a, a congregation, a, um, a church, and 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 the church was comprised of of families who were who were who were pretty much very well to do materially, and so because they were well to do, they could they could buy just about anything that they wanted, or 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 certainly anything that they needed. And, and as a result of having everything that they wanted, they lived fairly happy lives. But underneath all that, there was this, there was this angst, this fear of the future. They really didn't know what to do with themselves except, you know, try to be cute and witty and, and slim and, and pretty and, and successful so that they could have lots of friends. And yet, even with that, they still knew that there was something that was missing. And they wondered, they wondered if life would ever make any sense when they were little. They used to sing a little, a little ditty. It went like this. When I was just a little girl, I asked my mother, what will I be? 
Will I be pretty? Will And you know, they, they, they pretty much have answered all those questions about will they be pretty or who they'll marry or where they're going to live and what job they're going to do. But that other question, they haven't yet gotten an answer. What will I be? Will I be happy? They thought about that a lot. But still, there was this this vacuum. A vacuum that they couldn't quite explain. And, and there were some people who had told them that, that Jesus Christ could, could change their lives. But they weren't, they weren't really sure about all that. Because a lot of people that they knew down at the office and in the neighborhood scoffed at all that, all that Jesus talk. And so they chose simply to, to, just, to just immerse themselves in, in, in things and stuff. You know, the things that, that their friends said were important. Things like vacations and, and exotic trips and, and gadgets and sports and, and music and sex. And yet, they just couldn't quite seem to connect the dots. So the only thing they knew to do was just stay busy. But even in their busyness, they felt they felt empty. They felt confused, maybe, maybe guilty. Isn't that a sad story? Nobody, nobody likes. Sad stories. But for some of you, ladies and gentlemen, that is your story. My friend, your life is not a case study. It's a story. And for some of you, it's pretty darn sad. How does the story of Esther end? Oh, we'll see, eventually. But how does your story end? You know, I don't know. But I do know this much, ladies and gentlemen, that all stories point us to Jesus Christ. And his story makes a demand on all of us. You want to hear that demand? Here it is. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And I will even go this far, ladies and gentlemen. If Christ never becomes your Savior, you will never be able to connect the dots.
well, but Jimmy, is, is his story, is Jesus' story a true story? You'll have to decide that. I'm simply here to suggest that you will never make sense out of your story until you embrace Jesus Christ. Our Father, I I do pray that you will remind us that there is um, there's so much confusion that many of us have. We, we don't know uh, why we're here or what life's purpose is or um, how to piecemeal a family together. and uh, We don't know why we keep getting up every morning and going to the same office and doing the same thing and making the same money so that we can go home and pay the mortgage and come back the next morning to do the same thing. I pray, oh God, that um, in these coming weeks that some of that will, that we'll begin to sort some of that out. But not simply so that we can have a more peaceful and comfortable life. The hope is, O God, that you will lead people to the place where they understand that without Jesus Christ, their lives make no sense. Would you do that, Father? Would you expand the kingdom by drawing many into it as a result of reading and listening to the story contained in a portion of your word. We commit ourselves to that, Father, and pray that great good will come from this. And we ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.